Hi, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Ann Eglash. I'm a clinical professor in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and a board-certified lactation consultant. And I'm your co-host, Dr. Karen Bodnar. I am a pediatric hospitalist at Anova Children's Hospital and an assistant professor of pediatrics at Virginia Commonwealth University. I'm also a board-certified lactation consultant. This podcast is produced by the Institute for the Advancement of Breastfeeding and Lactation Education and is co-sponsored by the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Hey, Karen, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Good, good. So today we're going to cover a topic regarding uh, the NICU grad and the new protocol that came out from the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine regarding infant feeding upon graduation from the NICU. Yes, so um, this is a um, ABM protocol, clinical protocol number 12, transitioning the breastfeeding preterm infant from the neonatal intensive care unit to home. And it was revised and printed in November of 2018 by Larry Noble, Adora Okobule, and Michael Young. And um, this protocol, I think, is it should be stapled to every NICU discharge summary. I mean, I really think there's a lot in here that's great about it. So I'm going to sort of go through it. It's a little bit dense, and we can add in some of our experiences. I agree. I was really excited when I saw this protocol. So um, in the introduction, it just reminds us that the practice of breastfeeding and providing expressed mother's milk to preterm infants is promoted because of its considerable health benefits. And ideally, preterm infants in the NICU are fed their own mother's milk or donor milk, fortified with multiple nutrients and calories to optimize growth and development. Breastfeeding at the breast in the NICU before discharge should be encouraged as it may increase the breastfeeding duration. And near the time of discharge, a decision needs to be made as to how preterm infants should feed once they go home. Growth faltering has been observed in some preterm infants in the NICU and in the post-discharge period if they receive exclusive human milk feeding without um, nutrient and caloric fortification. And we are worried that evidence also suggests that such a nutritional deficit may adversely affect head circumference, which is associated with poor neurodevelopmental outcomes. These infants are also at risk for developing metabolic bone disease, um, osteopenia, or even rickets. And unfortunately, like so many things, there are few systemic studies um, on the impact of post-discharge fortification for preterm infants. In 2011, there was a Cochrane review of published studies that stated there was not enough evidence to conclude that fortification improved infant growth. And in addition, um, studies suggest that overly rapid early growth may be detrimental for NICU graduates, increasing the risk of long-term health problems such as obesity, diabetes, heart disease, and metabolic syndrome. The guidelines are a consensus of best practices that include recommendations for monitoring and providing optimal nutrition support for preterm infants after they're discharged from the hospital. And I find this really interesting because recently I was at the AAP conference and um, Sandra Sullivan, who's a neonatologist at the University of Florida where I trained and I were working together 
on a talk that was on this topic. And, you know, she was talking about what to do after discharge and said, you know, this isn't what I do. I take care of them when they're here. This is what you do. Right. So exactly. we worked yeah. together on it. It was fascinating. Yeah. Well, I would just say that, um, you know, what you just said uh, for the introduction for this protocol is that Cochrane dem- showed in their review that there wasn't enough data, really. It's not that fortification was necessarily bad or good, that there was good evidence for it. There just wasn't a lot of evidence. And so... Um, but the NICUs are still saying, look, you need to fortify for, you know, two months, three months, four months, or until the time that the baby is um, just at the breast, you know, like no, no data, no parameters. And so then there has been this back and forth between lactation and NICU and pediatricians. And, you know, everyone's sort of like putting their, um, their thoughts into, you know, in into the hat and then you know and then the parents are like well we don't know which you know which piece of advice to take out of the hat um so it's been really confusing for families as well so that's why i think this protocol is so important because we actually have for the first time some guidelines on how we should handle this yeah and and i really was thinking a lot about that too when i started reading this and the authors i think wisely you know they didn't make generalized recommendations of how long it should be. It was based on how is the infant growing and what is their metabolic status. So um, the protocol is intended to address the care of preterm infants born at a gestational age less than 34 weeks who are discharged home after a stay in the NICU. Um, The American Academy of Pediatrics has recommended that these infants be discharged after achieving three physiologic competencies oral feeding sufficient to support appropriate growth, the ability to maintain body temperature, and um, sufficiently mature respiratory control. These competencies are achieved in most preterm infants at a postmenstrual age between 36 and 37 weeks, but may take longer. And this protocol does not distinguish infants born appropriate for gestational age from small for gestational age but bases decisions on current nutritional status and body weight. So there are general strategies that we're gonna go into and then we'll talk about some more specifics. And now we're gonna discuss four general strategies. The goal of the discharge feeding plan recommendations for preterm infants is to enable the mother to exclusively breastfeed or provide as much human milk as possible while protecting and supporting the mother's decisions. In addition, the feeding plan should correct deficits that rose during the NICU stay and minimized further nutrition deficits after discharge. As the nutritional status of preterm infants varies widely, creating individualized feeding plans is the best approach. Thirdly, the authors talk about um, routinely supplementing preterm infants with iron and vitamin D and their um, recommendations listed for sort of standard recommendations, and then also for infants that have signs of nutritional deficiency. And lastly, they say enriched formula or human milk fortifier should be used when fortification is necessary because it provides greater nutrient intake than human milk alone or term infant formula. And they mention that current published studies on post-discharge supplementation utilized human milk fortifiers. And I only recently learned that when the NICU says human milk fortifiers, they're usually talking about a liquid product 
as opposed to as soon as babies leave the NICU, we're using a powdered product. If we're using, you know, like a, a standard or a preterm infant formula powder mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we mix it into the formula and in mix the NICU. Mix it into the um, breast milk. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the in the NICU, they're using a liquid product that is either made from human breast milk or from a bovine milk. Um, and so when they say, sometimes you'll say human derived, human milk fortifier or bovine derived human milk fortifier. Um, there's lots of different things that people refer to. Um, but what I didn't realize was typically they want those liquids in the NICU because they're sterile. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as they leave the doors of the NICU, poof, they're grown up and they can have this powder, um, that is not sterile mixed into their breast milk is sort of an interesting thing that I right. didn't understand until recently. Right. Right. Um, and then they move on to talk about the pre-discharge feeding assessment. So before the actual day of discharge, a general plan for feeding at home should be developed. Rooming in by the mother for a few days before discharge is strongly recommended although that is often highly variable by institution. Feeding plans should reflect shared decision-making by the mother and the infant's clinician and any others involved in feeding support and may include exclusive breastfeeding, breastfeeding combined with expressed human milk with or without fortification, or formula or a combination of all. And then they give parameters to be considered when making discharge feeding plans. Um, this is basically broken down into the current nutrition and um, how the baby is eating now and then assessing how effective this is for their nutrition. So when we look at their current feeding, we're looking at their diet. Is it unfortified human milk, fortified human milk, formula, or a combination, the volume, and the method. Mm -hmm. And then when you talk about the nutritional assessment, it's you know optimal or it's suboptimal and for it to be optimal it has to include all of the following the infant needs to be able to feed orally at a minimum of 160 milliliters per kilogram per day or growing well on exclusive breastfeeding at the breast which then we almost never know what is the volume um Next, the hospital growth is normal or improving as per the daily rate of weight gain and the weekly rate of length and head circumference. And there are tables listing those goals. And um, thirdly, biochemical measures of nutritional status are normal or normalizing. And in that table, they also list you know, al- alkaline phosphatase, blood urea, nitrogen, phosphorus, vitamin D levels, and hemoglobin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is a very long section that has to do with what discharge feeding plans could look like. And I think this is really where there's a huge disconnect between in communication between the NICU and the primary doctor. And so they go and began and say, for infants who are having optimal um, feeding nutritional assessment, Um, If they've been receiving fortified human milk, 
consider the following two options to ensure that follow-up clinician understand and ensure that follow-up clinician understands the rationale for the approach taken. The first option is to change the diet to unfortified human milk. And everywhere in this, when they say unfortified human milk, they could mean at the breast or, or given via another method. Mm-hmm. So they say change to unfortified one week before discharge and monitor growth and in milk intake during these days. If the growth is adequate, continue after discharge. Option two is if discharge follow-up can be arranged quickly within a day or two and repeatedly, consider changing the diet to unfortified human milk ad lib at any time before discharge without the need to monitor in the hospital for a week and monitor growth in milk intake carefully after discharge. Or if neither of those seems like the right thing to do, you can, um, sorry, let me say that again. If the infant was already receiving unfortified human milk, then you continue this after discharge. So the general idea there is for babies who are gaining well, they're recommending that they could go home without any fortification necessary. Yeah. Well, one of the problems here is that the culture, at least in our NICU, is that they feed every three hours. And um, what really shocks families when they leave the NICU um, is that suddenly the babies are nursing all the time if they decide to skip those bottles of separate formula or they decide not to put the um, formula powder into their breast milk, suddenly they realize, oh my gosh, my baby wants to eat all the time. And is that okay? <laughs> like the culture is so oh much gosh. different. But that, so the, the NICU needs to, depending on the NICU, of course, the staff needs to understand that when babies are liberalized to just take unfortified human milk, those babies are going to want to eat a lot. And a lot oh, of all volume. the time. And a lot more volume. And they're not, you know, and they can't start looking at numbers and saying, oh my gosh, it's more than 160, you know, but ml per kilo, you know, per day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Babies like drowning at 300. Well, yeah, that's what they do. And they have tons of poop too. And so um, there's a, so this is great that they say we should consider this because no one really ever talks about the fact that this can really happen. Um, but, um, we need, but the, the, the NICU needs to under the staff would need a lot of training and how that would look, you know? Well, and, and the other piece of that is that sometimes I have seen families who are sent out with this plan and it, they do touch on this later in the protocol. They are so overwhelmed by having to take care of a, a baby and, you know, heaven forbid there are other siblings in the house already trying to to manage this it gets super overwhelming Mm -hmm. and then there's the question of whether or not the mom has an adequate milk supply i mean they're really there's just a lot going on and so yeah it's it's great to make a plan and i think we're going to go into that a little bit more later but the really the adjustment of the plan is where i feel like a lot of families aren't getting the support that they need right yeah i I could have after i read this protocol i was like i could just spend all day long every day meeting with families who have left the NICU at our hospital. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. the recommendations in here are, are intensive and a lot of general pediatricians and family docs probably don't have a really high level of comfort with assessing breastfeeding in the way that's recommended going, going forward in this next part. I agree. 
So for infants with suboptimal um, nutrition, they make a whole bunch of recommendations and they say, if the infant has been receiving fortified human milk, consider the following three options and ensure the follow-up clinician understands the reason. Option one, change to unfortified human milk for most feedings, but add three feedings a day of preterm discharge formula prepared per the manufacturer's instructions at 22 kcalories um, per 30 mLs, or one feeding prepared at 30 kcals per 30 mLs per day. This option allows for breastfeeding at the breast, except for the formula feeds. It is important for mothers to express milk when the infant is receiving the formula feeds to maintain her supply. So that's one option. So Option. can I just can I make a comment on that? Oh, yeah. I figure you'll want to make a comment on every one of these. That I would just say that um, from my experience, when I see families in the lactation clinic, that when babies are taking one feeding with really high calorie per ounce, um, you know, whether it's usually fortified breast milk, um, those babies have irritable bowel. They are so uncomfortable and it really delays their next feeding. And I think that, that it's so unphysiologic that I don't think that's healthy. And I, and I usually- It's not your first choice. No, I usually ask that they stop doing that. Yeah. I also find that sometimes people take these um, options and they do things that just don't make any sense. Like I saw a mom who was sent out of the NICU and she was told to give every other feeding at the breast and then alternating feedings with preemie formula. Um, and they were trying to increase the baby's caloric intake, but this mom had a huge milk supply and she was having to pump all the time because she was giving all these feedings of formula. And I was like, well, why aren't we at least just taking the milk you have and fortifying it mm -hmm. right. around right. the clock instead of doing this you know, crazy thing? Because at that time, the baby really wasn't taking just tiny volumes at the breast. It made, I mean, just people don't think about what the mom is going to have to do and whether or not the baby's latching well. Well, I've heard that people um, in our NICU, people are told to do that because it's easier just to take out some formula than to actually add powder to the human milk. So it's like ease, but easy is also like, should we have a salad or should we drive to McDonald's? Well, oh, well, let's drive to McDonald's. Well, easy is not like the most nutritious, right? So, yeah. yeah, and I also think they just, so many people leave the NICU with not enough milk that they've sort of, you know, didn't think through the fact that this mom was pumping so, so much that, yeah. you know, she had plenty to fortify and and it really wasn't more work for her. It was just they didn't, I don't know. There was a breakdown in communication in yeah. several places. Yeah. So option two is to add powdered preterm discharge formula to expressed human milk feedings to enrich it to 22 calories a day. And this option provides human milk with each feeding, but isn't providing any feeding at the breast. And so that you know, goes into this question of whether or not you have a latching baby. Mm -hmm. um, option three, change to breastfeeding at the breast for all feedings while supplementing with 15 milliliters of preterm discharge formula for all feedings using a nursing supplementer, um, a tube at the breast. This option allows baby to breastfeed at the breast for all feedings, 
mother should consider expressing milk if there's concern that the baby is not adequately emptying the breast. Um, and later in the table, they also point out that this 15 milliliters of formula per feeding is based on some goals they have for two kilo babies. And obviously that is not every baby. Mm -hmm. Plus mothers hate having tubes at the breast. I mean that the number, I would say the percent of families that actually stick with that for every feeding is super low. Super small. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there are certainly people that fall into this little niche category of this works well for me and I'm doing it for some amount of time, but I don't know anybody who likes it. Right. Right. Um, so then sort of some sub notes on all on those options. There's nutritional information given in the table. Um, obviously some others will use a combination of the different options that may be more sustainable. Um, ad assessing adequacy of breastfeeding and addressing problems or potential problems is critical. They would like to initiate these changes at least one week before anticipated discharge and monitor the effects, which I think most NICUs do not take, you know, if, if there aren't other issues with an infant having to do with apnea that are keeping them there to be monitored off of caffeine for a few days, and really growth and feeding has been the last thing keeping the baby there. I don't know a lot of NICUs that are going to keep people for a week to try out a new feeding regime. And if they are willing to do that, whether or not the mom's available 24-7 right. to be there to do that, it almost never happens. Right, right. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, and then they say if intake or growth continue to be suboptimal after the week, enhance fortification per table three. And there is a really kind of cool table that sort of says like, if you're doing plan one, plan two, or plan three, and this is your initial, these are some things you can do to increase fortification with each of those that I found helpful. Um, there is not any mention in here of this idea that sometimes I hear of, of um, altering the milk once it has separated, you know, it separates into the cream layer, the fatty layer and the skim layer. Mm -hmm. And so I've had discussions about like, you know, taking out some of the skim milk to increase the, the overall caloric density of breast milk. Mm -hmm. If mom has a lot of milk um, and they don't discuss that in here. And I don't know, you know, whether or not we have really any data on what exactly the caloric, you know, what the impact of that activity is. Yeah. I just, I, you know, it, I think my understanding is the research shows that it's protein and not fat. Mm -hmm. So increasing fat may not necessarily add to growth because it's, you know, the, it doesn't necessarily increase protein. Yeah. So. I guess that's especially for smaller preterms. Mm -hmm. I've had some babies that were term, but, um, you know, they'd been intrauterine growth restricted. And so they, you know, they were just small and I wasn't as worried about their protein. Mm -hmm. um, and I've had moms ask me about that because thank you, internet, um, yeah. reading about it. And I just, I really am like, mm, I don't have a lot of data. Yeah, but I do, I think if the, I, I guess I would say if the babies are really fussy and it seems like there's a lot of formulk when moms are pumping, if they are pumping to, they could dump their formulk 
um, or at least some of it. Into, um, into the freezer to be mixed with cereal later. Or will they just dump it, dump it down, the, down into the brown no. water drainage? But, uh, but then I just have been encouraging them to shake their breast before feeding or pumping, you know, just to, just to loosen up the fat in the ducts and in the alveoli so that it mixes with the foreign milk before they express or feed. And that seems to make a big difference. Yeah. So um, a little bit more. If the infant has been receiving unfortified human milk at the breast or by another feeding method, consider, these are for the babies that aren't growing well, assessing the adequacy of breastfeeding, addressing potential problems, and optimizing the breastfeeding that is occurring. Um, consider use of feeding devices to improve the volume of intake. If addressing any existing breastfeeding problems um, does not fix the problem, start fortification. And ideally, they would like to do that a week prior to discharge to see how it works. If intake and growth are adequate, continue the diet. And if it is suboptimal after another week, increase fortification. So there's a little bit of a pattern that emerges in here of evaluating what's going on, increasing the fortification. Mm -hmm. They made a special note that infants with chronic lung disease, especially those on oxygen, will likely require fortification. Mm -hmm. And that's for, for people who are listening, that's because they have a limitation of, how, of their volumes. Mm -hmm. So that you're making the, they're not having to drink as much because of their respiratory status. Because they get water overloaded. Mm -hmm. And short of breath with all the mm -hmm. duration yes. of work of feeding. Um, and then they um, have a table that shows sort of if you were doing these different options and you enriched with different fortifications, not just the calories you would expect, but also the differences in protein and calcium and phosphorus, which I thought was helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and then they move on to the post-discharge assessment. So um, nutrition monitoring as early as possible, preferably within 72 hours, should occur. And to assess intake, the um, primary care doctor needs to take a detailed feeding history and what the mother has actually been feeding her infant since discharge including details on providing expressed milk versus direct breastfeeding, a full pumping history, the use of fortified human milk or formula, and ask her how she is coping with caring for the infant, um, and discuss revising the feeding plan if it's not sustainable. Then we should measure weight, length, and head circumference using, and the length should be measured using a steady Stadiometer. I was not steady. familiar steady with the word. Thank steady. you. Yeah, steadyometer. Yeah. I'll just go ahead and tell you. I had to look it up. I knew that what that device was. The one where you like it looks like the thing you put your foot in to measure your shoe size, right? Yeah, like the, it does. Yeah. Measure the baby. But I didn't know the name. Those are hard to use, by the way. It is. It takes a lot of effort to keep the head in one place and stretch out the foot, and so it's taken my medical assistants like a good year to get really good at it. So, you know, the issue of like monitoring, like uh, weight for length, and uh, you know, checking that length every week or whatever, it's not it's very hard. Much. It's very hard, and it's scary to me that people would absolutely rely on that because it's 
it's um, it's so variable depending on how uh, how hungry the baby is when you're trying to measure them, you know. So. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that in theory, if you're well trained, you will get a more accurate length than if you're, you know, just measuring them and marking on paper, which is the other common option. Mm-hmm. Um, but both of those, it's just it's hard to get accurate lengths on wiggly babies. Oh yeah, very hard. Um. And then they mentioned that this data should be plotted on the appropriate growth curves, preferably the new intergrowth 21st postnatal growth of preterm infants charts until 64 weeks postmenstrual age, or it could be acceptable to use the Fenton preterm growth chart, the Olson intrauterine growth chart. Um, Both of those would be used until 50 weeks. And then after either the, whichever one of those you're using, you would go to the World Health Organization growth chart. Mm-hmm. Do you guys use Fenton? Our, our Epic still uses Fenton. They our Epic uses Fenton. Yeah. Um, and I think, I don't know that a lot of primary care offices routinely use those growth charts for preemies. Um, when they get to the office. Yeah. I've been to a lot of places that don't. They may not. Yeah. It probably depends on their EMR and, mm-hmm. um, and just their education on the issue with growth charts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So hopefully we'll be stapling this to lots and lots of NICU discharge summaries in the coming years. Yeah. Um, and that follow-up visit should also have observation of a feeding Consider possible test weighing to assess quantity of milk transferred. And then they say infants with adequate growth should be followed at one month following discharge. I found that slightly confusing because I'm assuming there would be another visit between the day after discharge and the month after discharge. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think they're making the point that, um, they're going to do some additional nutritional monitoring, um, and labs at one month after discharge. Right. Problem just not talking about the fact that these babies need to be seen more often. I mean, these babies are in such a, they're in an active, very fast rate of change in terms of their feeding skills. And a Mm -hmm. lot of them are just sleepy. They're not really transferring that well and they need to be supplemented after feeding. And so they need some really strong guidance over that, over that first month as these babies transition um, because they're going to feed so much differently than they did in the NICU. And the Mm -hmm. parents need Mm -hmm. feedback, like really frequent feedback to make sure that they're, what they're doing is actually working in terms of appropriate growth. Yeah, absolutely. I think that anytime you make a change, you need to have really follow up really soon. And even if things didn't change, you know, I don't want to leave that family out there without a chance to check in. They're they're going through a lot if they've brought home a NICU graduate. And, you know, sometimes things look like they're going well. And then two weeks later, that's, that's your, you know, your yellow flag. You don't want to wait a month for the red flag. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, they also say for infants with inadequate growth since discharge, consider assessing the breastfeeding, the same things, improving the breastfeeding. If this isn't making things better, then um, change the, the um, fortification and weekly follow-up until the infant has demonstrated appropriate growth on the feeding plan. 
Then one month after discharge, we will assess intake um, following the same protocol as that first visit, as well as draw laboratories to assess growth and biochemical measures of nutritional status. For infants with suboptimal assessment in growth or labs, consider the following. Same sort of thing. Address the breastfeeding problems. Consider fortification. Weekly follow-up until they're demonstrating appropriate growth. So then, in other words, so you had said and or appropriate growth and or, you know, metabolic uh, problems. So, for example, if the baby's seen at one month and the baby's growing well on just human milk, but the parameters for bone metabolism, for example, let's say the, B1, let's say the blood urea nitrogen is low or the ALKFOS is quite high, meaning that there's um, more need for substrate for bone development, um, then even though they're growing well, those parameters are saying, hey, you know, things are not great for the bones, so yes. then we need to add fortification. So, some, so I think what they're saying is that growth alone, it does not guarantee us that these babies are safe metabolically. Right. And in the table, table one, where they discuss, you know, the goal, weight gain, they also have, for all of these values, they have goals, and then they have action values. So for instance, the goal weight gain is a minimum of 20 grams per day. But if it's less than 15 grams, you need to take action. So now, likewise... Oh, I was going to interrupt you again, because I always say an ounce a day keeps a doctor away. So oh, no, I agree with you completely. I would not agree with 20... <laughs> grams per day. Yeah. But people often say 20 to 30. And so I find it interesting that they gave the action value of 15 because for me, like my goal is 30. If yeah. you're down at 20, then I'm like, well, what can we do to make this situation yes. better? I agree. Um, and then ALKFOS, for instance, the goal is to be less than 450, but they said, you know, action if it's greater than 500. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting um, way to look at it. Um, then they talk um, a little bit more about the frequency of monitoring, um, which I think is something that really it would be nice to see a little more standardization with. So this is helpful. They say for all preterm infants, growth monitoring is recommended every month until six months corrected age, then every two months till one year. Biochemical markers should be followed one month after discharge and at four months corrected age. And infants with abnormal laboratories may require more frequent monitoring. Um, then, as we sort of touched on in the very beginning, there's a question of how long to continue the use of enriched formula. Um, and randomized trials showing the benefits of fortification discontinued supplementation at three months. Um, at a minimum, enriched formula supplementation should be continued until nutritional monitoring on the fortified diet has been adequate for several months. And in addition, it is important to prevent overnutrition, such as an infant's growth rapidly increasing such that the weight length percentile is greater than 85th percentile. Mm. They briefly mention that most experts recommend starting complementary feedings at about six months corrected age. And um, then there's a section that is discussing support for breastfeeding mothers of premature infants, um, both pre and post discharge. Um, 
because optimal feeding for preterm and term infants is exclusive breastfeeding at the breast. That is our goal, and with appropriate support, this is attainable for most preterm infants. They say that sustained sucking with swallowing for five minutes is one indicator that the infant may be ready to transition from nasogastric tube to breastfeeding. Um, and there are a couple of studies cited for that that I was not familiar with. We might have to podcast on them later. Mm-hmm. Other studies suggest that early introduction of oral feeding hastens the development of oral motor skills. And um, nursing supplementers may provide additional volume. Then there um, is a note that mothers should be monitored for nipple soreness. If present, this may be an indication of shallow latch. Temporary use of nipple shields may be helpful, um, adjunct for milk transfer, and for more efficient latch-on for preterm infants with shallow latch, although there's some conflicting data about this. Um, There is data showing that some babies transfer better, but there is an association with decreased exclusive breastfeeding. I would say that, I mean, I would say just that we're, that the latch seeps to be easier with nipple shields, but I would say that there are many times that, I, I, I don't think that the literature is really strong in terms of showing that transfer is better. I think that the, there are very, very small numbers and that we should be very cautious about, you know, long-term use of these nipple shields. No, I agree also, but um, I wasn't familiar until I had that discussion um, with Dr. Sullivan recently that there was even data that showed in preterm infants it can improve transfer. And so um, it's interesting that, that, you know, different articles sort of seep into different locations. And so I think that neonatologists tend to like nipple shields because of, you know, what they see with the sleepy preterm baby and that firm palate stimulus and having them actually, you know, do some sucking, whereas otherwise they may be so sleepy that they're not. And it's sort of, I think, really interesting to look at the natural feeding reflexes, like the things that we use to get babies to breastfeed better by understanding what newborns do, like how they find the breast and how they, you know, what stimulates them to stay awake. The fact that if there's something, you know, deep enough in their mouth, they're going to suck. It's a reflex. It can be your finger right? There's no milk coming out, but they're going to suck. And also flow. So a lot of times the nursing supplementer doesn't just provide additional volume. It provides that stimulation of there's liquid in your mouth, you're going to keep swallowing. I think it's really helpful to explain those things to families so that they understand how to trick their baby into eating better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We could talk a lot about nipple shields. We can do that another time. (laughs) (laughs) We do all the time. Okay. I only have a little bit left. I should keep going. So um, they would like to refer and coordinate care, like providing a written discharge summary for the parents and primary care physician that includes detailed nutritional support recommendations. And ideally, all mothers discharged from the NICU with breastfeeding or human milk feeding infants should have follow-up examinations with a trained, skilled lactation professional within two to three days after discharge for ongoing support and troubleshooting. 
Right. I think that's difficult because people who have their babies in the NICU are not necessarily from the community where the NICU is. And so they end up going, you know, like some of our babies, some of our families live like two hours away and they live rurally. So the only person who's there to help them is either someone from WIC or um, their primary care physician. Um, And they're not necessarily that familiar with, um, with the issues regarding feeding with, especially at the breast with preemies. Yeah, I really feel like this is a place where there's sort of a growing um, telemedicine lactation world and that there aren't a lot of, like there, there aren't enough lactation consultants who are comfortable with preemies and ex-preemies. Yeah. And finding a way to get those people to the people who need them, that may mm-hmm. be a place where... Um, Telemedicine may end up being really helpful. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, and just in general, I mean, I my impression is that even in the D.C. area, which is super populous and has tons of resources, there are not enough lactation consultants who are comfortable with taking care of babies that aren't just your regular everyday baby. Like yeah. Just a term baby that's less than two weeks old. That's yeah. that's who most people are comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, lastly, the they always put in recommendations for future research into the protocols. Um, they recommend a survey of neonatologists and NICU dietitians to understand the global heterogeneity of fortification plans and breastfeeding post discharge. Um, comparative effectiveness studies of different post-discharge feeding regimens, although they acknowledge this would be very challenging to do. They say data on growth and follow-up of intrauterine growth-restricted preterm infants need to be evaluated separately to measure the effectiveness of feeding regimens in this special subset of preterm infants. Um, And I think a lot about that because we have questions about what is appropriate catch-up growth. Right, right. And then QI evaluations are needed to determine the effectiveness of patient discharge instructions and communication to the outpatient follow-up team. That would be amazing. I hope somebody wants to do that. Yes. Looking at, yes, looking at long-term outcomes, like we, we talk about this a fair amount at our hospital. Like we make these recommendations of like, when should we supplement? Should it be according to the newt curve? Should it be eight or 10%? And then, but then they go home and then you don't know on day four, day five, what do these babies look like? And mm-hmm. so, but we, and we have this, these, um, we're just in silos in terms of where the care is and lack of communication in terms of, um, you know, follow-up or QI, I should say, because the hospital sometimes is a different institution than the outpatient practice. And so there's no coordination of uh, data. Even though we are the same institution where I am, there's not good coordination of data. Yes. I would love to work more closely with the, the NICU and, and hopefully I can bring this to them and talk to them more about how we can work together. And let's, I'm excited about it. Yeah. Well, so let's, okay. So now that you went over this, let's, let's do just a few like pretend cases here. So <laughs> let's, just to kind of help our listeners understand uh, what we just talked about. So let's say that we have a baby who was born at, let's say 30 weeks, no complications, overall doing well. Uh, the baby has been fed every three hours in the NICU and the baby has been fortified um, um, a little bit of formula, like 
bringing the breast milk up like to about 22 calories or something um, for every feeding. And now the baby wants to go to the breast. And mom's like, I really want to breastfeed this baby. So the baby is now being allowed to go to the breast more often um, at the time of discharge. And then the NICU says, okay, here's the feeding plan. Mom's going to gradually increase feeding. And in the meantime, she will continue to add powdered formula to, you know, this powdered um, premium formula or Neosure is the common one to, according to, you know, these directions to bring the, the breast milk up to 22 calories. Um, and then as the, and we recommend doing this for two to four months unless the baby's fully breastfeeding before then. So mm -hmm. that's the kind of thing that I've seen. So now if we take these guidelines, what exactly then are we, how would we change that recommendation to the, to the primary care provider? So what is my baby now? 36 weeks? 37? Yeah, say the baby's like, oh, let's say 39 weeks. The baby's, okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I... That's an interesting question, the way that you put it. How are we going to change those recommendations? Yeah. I don't know that, like, from my perspective in looking at this, I'm still expecting to get that recommendation because they're not necessarily familiar with this. But what happens right. is the family comes to me and they're like, what do we do with this recommendation? And then yeah. I'm changing it in that way. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, it just really depends on, at least in large part for me, because this is what because I have the ability to do it in assessing how is breastfeeding actually going, mm -hmm. how much of the, you know, breastfeeding is effective and what is, you know, what is easier for the family right now? Like is the breastfeeding when the baby's on the breast taking an hour and everybody's exhausted or, and so it doesn't make sense to try to do that so many times a day. Right. Um, or is it like, you know what, actually it's, pretty easy to breastfeed during the daytime but not at night or the pumping is killing me um and that's where it's hard for me to to sort of make cookie cutter like we could have a flow chart maybe of this what's your general approach well what i would do if the NICU gave this recommendation that this you know this kind of the standard recommendation i think from my point of view um as the outpatient specialist I am still, I want to be the, the good provider who acknowledges that the NICU is concerned about bone metabolism and growth. And so what this protocol tells me, gives me um, sort of data to say that let's check parameters at one month according to how the mother's doing. So let's say that she's gotten up to... Um, let's say the baby's feeding really well and transfers, you know, maybe two thirds or a full feeding two or three times a day so that she's not doing any more formula for those feedings. But when she does give express breast milk in a bottle, she's still putting formula in. Then at one month, I would check those parameters, the BUN and the ALKFOS and uh, maybe a CBC, although the baby's going to be on iron anyway. And then if those are looking good, I would say, okay, good, let's keep going. And let's see as the baby wakes up more and takes more milk from the breast, um, why don't we continue to ditch, you know, we don't need to be, adding formula obviously to the feedings that happen at the breast 
And then let's recheck the parameters again in a month. And again, you're making sure the whole time the baby's gain, growing well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and then if the parameters still look good, I probably at that point would say, you know what, let's just stop all the formula. Because what will happen is that as you stop formula, the baby will take more breast milk, more volume. And that's the thing to remember is that more volume means more calcium, more phosphorus, you know, just from the yeah. breast milk itself. And so what I like about this protocol is that I like, I like, knowing what are the parameters that they feel really reflect adequate metabolic health um, versus just looking at the growth curve. Um, And that gives me not only a sense of security um, that I'm doing the right thing for the baby, um, and also I'm not necessarily going by the quote-unquote plan that neonatology had, which which may be we want this baby supplemented with X amount of, you know, bottles of uh, powdered formula, you know, until six months or four months, I can look yeah. at this and say, mm, look, this baby's doing really well. I don't see a need for it. This baby's going gangbusters with breastfeeding. This is what the family wants. Um, so I think that it's also helpful for us in lactation because um, families want to do what they're told by the neonatologist. They want to be good patients and they <laughs> want to be successful with breastfeeding and the two don't jive if you're always having to pump and give bottles with with uh, powder in it. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think it's um, like just like the first step in, um, in a protocol that gives us um, objective feedback into how things are going. So that's uh, kind of your I, point. Exactly. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing about iron, you know, they do recommend iron. And I find that some of my family start to drop off with giving iron because they're, they just feel like it's messy and the baby spit it up and the babies find it obnoxious. And um, so I would, thought that we would just talk for a moment about how long um, you use iron um, after, after uh, they graduate from the NICU. So I, you know, I, I do see that most of the preterm babies that come out of the NICU are being given iron supplementation and typically they'll be continued on it until six months. Um, And that is appropriate for some of them that have had, you know, a difficult course with blood loss and surgery or transfusions, but there are a lot of babies where that is really not necessary. Um, And I sort of feel the same way about what you just said about the, guidance in here for, you know, following labs to be able to say, oh, this baby is actually doing really well. But the, you know, the iron is not just necessary for creation of red blood cells. It's also really important for brain growth. And I don't know how good a marker the hemoglobin is for that status. Mm. Yeah. So um, what I end up doing is um, if the parents are really not enthused about giving iron. Um, I really push it for sure, for at least for the first six months. And if if by three to four months I find out that they're not giving iron very much, I do check a hemoglobin and a ferritin mm-hmm. to make sure they're doing okay. And if they're not, I you know just you know try to be very very encouraging. And then at six months, oftentimes I'll check if they've been doing fine and um, they're starting and the babies are starting solids. I'll check at that point because I find a lot of times they don't need it anymore. They're usually pretty, they have pretty good stores at that point. And then um, if we stop it at six months, I'll check it again at nine months, you know, like if the mm-hmm. ferritin's really 
great, like over 50, um, then I will, um, then I will check them at nine months and see how they're doing. But again, you know, the ferritin can be a little tricky because if they're sick or something, it's a Q phase reactant. So mm. you have to be careful about that. I have to make sure they don't have a cold or something. Um, and then talk a lot about high iron solids as well. Um, yeah, that's so yeah. interesting because I, I have not routine, routinely checked ferritin, but yesterday I was reading another article that came in, I think it was AAP Grand Rounds, um, just, you know, showed up in my mailbox that was about um, delayed cord clamping and improved uh, myelinization. And it said, you know, they were talking about the improved iron stores in babies and um, improved ferritins and um, better um, signs of brain growth on MRI. And so that's so fascinating. Yeah, I um, yeah, I mean, the, we actually um, at our website the so I should mention this is a good time to mention that the Milk Mob has changed its name to the Institute for the Advancement of Breastfeeding and Lactation Education, and we changed our website from uh, themilkmob.org to lacted l a c t e d dot org. And um, our clinical question of the week, we do have one on delayed cord clamping. Um, and it does show uh, that uh, studies have shown that delayed cord clamping is associated with um, improved iron status, which makes sense because for so many years we've thought, why are breastfed babies so much more anemic than um, formula-fed babies? And why is there, why is does it seem like there's not enough iron in breast milk? Physiologically, doesn't make sense. Well, by um, not doing early cord clamping, meaning that delayed cord clamping is really the more normal thing. Mm -hmm. um, that you actually allow that nice, beautiful, big blood transfusion going to the baby early. So the baby has a bunch of iron to use during the course of the next year until they're um, really up and going with a lot of iron containing foods for themselves. So um, yeah, but I didn't know about the brain myelinization. So that's really exciting. Yeah, I mean, there is so much interesting stuff coming out. Yeah. To do many, many more podcasts. Yes. Okay. So that was great. Thank you for sharing that protocol. And uh, I will uh, talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Have a great yeah, day. Take it. You too. Yeah. Bye. Bye. For questions regarding this podcast, please contact us through our website at lacted.org. We have other educational projects, including the clinical question of the week, our Little Green Book of Breastfeeding Management for Physicians, and our various educational courses and conferences for physicians and other breastfeeding supporters. If you want to see what we look like, check out our Breastfeeding Medicine podcast Facebook page, where you can post any questions or comments about our podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with you in about four weeks.